chapter 7, the book of Mark chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. When you got it, say so. It says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. And for Moses said, honor your father and your mother and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as Corbin, that is a gift of God, then you, are no longer, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a, man's, a man from the outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of the man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of a man proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have to gather together to lift up your great name, Lord God. We are reminded that you are the Almighty, that you are strong, you are glorious, and you are powerful. And so today we humble our hearts before you, and we ask you, God, speak to us, Lord God. Let us have ears to hear what you are saying to your church. God, be glorified in our time together, and let, let us not just, just hear these words, but let us live them and bring you glory through them. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, 
Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, if you would, just raise your hand if you need an outline, and the ushers will be sure uh, to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you are able uh, to follow along in the introduction of the sermon and also that you're able to take some notes. And as always, I remind you, as a disciple of Jesus, you should be helping someone grow in their faith, right? And so as someone who's going to help uh, people grow in their faith, one of the tools that you have before you is this outline. And what you can simply do is make an appointment with someone to sit down with them and share with them what you are hearing, what you are learning on uh, Sunday morning, and that will help them grow in their faith. That will also help you grow in your faith and retain what it is that you are hearing. And so today we're going to deal with, we're continuing on in our series, and uh, we're dealing with tradition versus true worship. Tradition versus true worship. And all of us, whether we admit it or not, whether we realize it or not, we all hold to certain traditions, right? Some of them are good, some of them not so good, right? And so when we look at the word tradition, what does the word tradition mean, right? It means a custom or belief transmitted from generation to generation, right? So certain things that you're going to do, you're going to pass down to your kids, those are going to be traditions, right? Things that you learned from your parents, they might have learned from their grandparents, those things will be traditions tradition, but in a religious sense, what is a religious tradition? Think about this now. Is It is a doctrine believed. Now, when we say doctrine, what do we mean, right? We mean teaching, right? So it is a teaching that is believed to have divine authority, though not in the scriptures. In other words, it's something that we can't find it in the Bible, yet we hold it like equal to scripture. You know those traditions, right? Those certain things that we have, we all have certain traditions, certain things that we hold really high. And sometimes it's like, man, I, I, it's funny because you guys know that I'm doing my, my, um, my master's right now. And so as I'm walking through this, I'm sitting down in, in one of my classes. I'm not in the class. I'm, I'm on, online. I'm reading as in, in one of the discussion pages. And there's a guy there, and I won't say what tradition he comes from, but I want you to know he knows his book of tradition better than he knows his Bible. Are you here? I mean, homeboy is quoting his book of tradition. I'm and and I and there's like I, I had one conversation right because we have to listen to four lectures and we have to comment on you know one person or two people's lectures for four weeks. And so the first week I really tried very you know I was like hey but look at what the scriptures say on this and he came back with his book of tradition and I was like all right all right let me try again. And so I tried again week number two. After week number two I said I'm never commenting on his stuff again ever never ever ever because there's no point right <clears throat> because I'm arguing with. Some Someone who wants to argue from the place of tradition, not from the place of Scripture. And so when I, the thing is this, when, when Scripture and tradition collide, there's a problem, right? It's like water and vinegar, you know, it's, it's you know, I was, you know, um, it's acid, you know, stuff like that. Like, it, it blows up, right? Like, if you, if you put certain things together, certain chemicals together, it causes a problem. It's the same thing with tradition, right? And, 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 the, and the Bible, when they, when they come to a point, it's like, wait a second, which one, do we do, which one do we follow? Do we follow tradition or do we follow scripture? And so I would say follow scripture, right? And, and that's difficult though, right? Because when you have certain traditions, like, no, 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 that's the way it's done. Wait a second, what does the Bible say, right? Let's look at what the scriptures say. Let's look at what the scriptures actually teach. And so looking at this definition a little bit more, in Christianity, what is tradition? It is doctrine, not explicit in the Bible, but held to derive from the oral teaching of Jesus and the apostles, right? And so this is what, 
Christianity would hold as tradition. And so more specific to the scripture that we're reading today, we have to look at what with Judaism. In Judaism, it is an ordinance of, of the oral law in the Torah, but held to have been given by God of God to Moses. And so it's an ordinance right, of, the, of the law, not in the Torah. So it's not written down in the Ten Commandments for us, not written in the first books of the law. However, it is believed that, you know, Moses handed this down. And so this is something that we're supposed to do. And so I want you to notice this. It is important to remember this. This is the reason why we're talking about tradition versus true worship. Because Jesus said something clearly. He said the Father was seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He wasn't seeking people who were going to become more traditional or more tra traditionalists. And while you and I, we tend toward rituals and tradition, do we not? I mean, come on, man. We all like our, tra our traditions. We all like our rituals. Even if they're not like in the, 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 the confine of worship in the sense of church, like we have our certain rituals that we go through. And when someone interrupts those ri rituals, they know about it sometimes, depending on your character, right? Hello. All right. When you when you interrupt my traditions, you'll know because I, you know, I'm funny like that. But anyway, the bottom line is while we tend toward ritual and tradition, God is seeking those whose whose lives are given to his worship, and the result will be a life of witness to the world. That's what we're talking about, church. We're talking about a people who God is saying, I'm seeking worshipers. Why? Because when we are worshipers who are responding to God the way that God calls us to respond to him. Something beautiful happens. Our lives begin to witness to this world. Our lives begin to communicate to the world a truth that they're unaware of, right? Right now, listen, church, I want to say this, right? Because I know y'all are, you know, y'all got sanitized hands, glory to God, right? Like I, I, so many people commenting, you know, you wash your hands how many times, put on san sanitizer how many times. You got, you got women who typically have soft hands. Their hands feel like construction workers right now, glory to God, Right? They're so sanitized, you know, they're, they're, their hands are so clean at this moment, right? Ladies are like, man, I hate this, you know, get this coronavirus out of here so we can figure this out. But church, I, I want you to understand something. I do believe firmly, firmly, firmly that we need to be wise in this day, in this moment. We need to be wise, but I also need you to know that you need to trust in the greatness of God. You need to trust in who God is. Church, I need you to know something. The world needs you at this moment. Believe me when I say this. The world needs you at this moment. Not to be hidden in a corner somewhere hoping you don't catch the coronavirus. The world doesn't need you to be hiding behind some kind of mask. It's not going to help you anyway. Look, the world needs you to be a light that is shining in the midst of darkness. The world needs you to live with hope in these moments. I mean, think about this. Right now, we shouldn't be over here overwhelmed. We should think about the truth of the pandemic and all this and that. I said this before, and this may sound really morbid. You're going to die regardless of what you do. Hello, somebody. You're going to, sickness is going to happen no matter what. And so you can run from it or you can say, wait a second, hold on. I, 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 you know, the brother, he, he's his first dime today. I can't remember your name, um, but, he, but, but he said, I'm under the blood. I'm under the blood of Jesus. You know, he's like, I'm going to shake your hand. Why? Because he trusts in the power of the blood. That does, does that mean to be foolish? No, that doesn't mean to be foolish. That doesn't mean to be ignorant. That doesn't mean to put yourself in bad positions. But what it does mean, church, is that your God is greater. And you know what? Right now, the world needs to hear that from the church. 
The world needs to see that from the church. The world needs to know that there is hope in Christ and that we believe. Listen, we're about to pray in a moment because I'm grateful. I want to tell you something. I'm grateful in the midst of all of this pandemic, our president decided to declare today a national day of prayer. I think that that's something to be happy about, is it not? A president who said, who at minimum, I don't know if he's going to pray. I can't tell you that because I don't know his heart. But at minimum, he's calling the nation to prayer. And you know what that means? Really, to me, it's like he's calling on the church. He did it on Sunday. Come on now. He's calling on the church saying, look, I don't have the answer to this pandemic. He may sound like he does. And come on, man, anybody who's a leader of a family, you know you've gone through something. You didn't have the answer, and you had to act like you had the answer. You know you didn't know what was really going on. You had to make, you had to put your best foot forward, make people think everything is okay. When in, in, in the back you're biting your nails, you're crying, sweating, you're like, oh, my goodness, I don't know. What I'm sure. I don't even understand the level of pressure the man is under. He doesn't have a little family. He has a whole nation that everything is falling on his shoulders. And so praise the living God that he called this time of prayer. And so when we pray today, we're going to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for the healing power of God because how many know that God said one of his names is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. He wasn't just a healer. He is still a healer. He is still that, that Psalm 91 that we, that we read, that we dwell in the shelter of the Most High, that he protects us, that he keeps us. That is a beautiful, beautiful reality that God does. He keeps us and he protects us. So anyway, that was an aside that is nowhere in my notes, but I wanted to encourage you because I know you're waiting for me to say something about the coronavirus. Hello, somebody. I don't have much to say about the coronavirus. I have a lot to say about Jesus. Here's what I want to say. Think about this this morning. When religious traditions become greater than the gospel, they hinder disciple making. Whenever religious traditions become greater than the gospel, they hinder disciple making. They hinder us from being able to make disciples. They hinder us from being able to impact the culture the way that God wants us to impact the culture. The first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say personal legalism can be a good thing unless it becomes the only thing. I know that's not up there, but listen. As I was reading this point today, I wanted to say that. It's, it's a good thing. Personal legalism is a good thing unless it becomes the main thing, unless it becomes the only thing. Right, we all need personal legalism. I want us to look at this really quick. Let's just look at verses one through five, or one through five of the scriptures here. It says, "Then the disciples came. The, the, uh, then the Pharisees. I'm sorry. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem." Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is with unwashed hands. Sounds like they should be right here in this day, is it not? They found fault, right? Like, people don't want to shake hands. Like, I don't know about you. Let, let me just pause for a moment here. I don't, I, but but I, am, I am much more, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking in, in faith, and I believe everything I just preach and all that kind of stuff. But, man, I start paying attention more to stuff. Like, I go to the gym, and I'm like, man, they wash their hands? When, when I go to grab that waiter, I go to grab that bar, I'm like, man, I don't know. I need, I need like, sanctify this bar. Like, sanitize sanctified. I need to sanitize this thing, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking, you know. I mean, I'm always, like, really conscious, like, you know, when I go to the restroom and stuff like that, especially in the gym. Like, I watch that guy that goes to the restroom next to me and doesn't wash his hands. I'm like, man, I don't want to go anywhere you're going, bro. I mean, come on now. But anyway, 
The reality is, like, I'm thinking about stuff like, man, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, we, I, I was at the grocery store the other day, and I realized how many things I'm touching that other people are touching, right? I'm like, man, you, listen, church, you could easily become a hermit in this moment, right? You could be like, you know what, I'm going to stay in my shell, I'm going to order all my food, it's going to be, and even then, you're like, I'm not going to order any food, I got to have an organic, I got to have like, like, like a yard full, of, I'm going to go buy a cow and just slaughter it myself, and then, I don't even know, right? I mean, it's crazy, right? When, when, when you you think about all of the stuff that, that that is that is touched you know I was keying in my, my my you know my thing you know my pin number I'm like man coronavirus <laughs> I mean for real like this is the this is this is this is it right <laughs> telling you but the Pharisees they were hand washers I mean they were straight up if they had hands on it hand sanitizer boy that would have been part of the law for them they they, they would have been you got to wash your hands then you got to sanitize it so he goes on he says then they found fault right because they ate with unwashed hands why does he say this? He said, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way holding to the tradition of the elders when they come from the marketplace, thinking about what I was just saying, they do not eat unless they wash. And I think that that's wise, right? Like being hygienic. I mean, come on now, right? Regardless of a pandemic, I mean, you should wash your hands before, you know, you go eat. I mean, after Sunday, I've shaken everybody's hand up in here. I love you guys, but you know, I should wash my hands probably, right? And you should do the same. I mean, that's just good hygiene, right? But these people were taking hygiene to another level. Because it wasn't just about their hygiene. It was about what? It was about them being holy. They were saying this washing wasn't just about germs. It was about these things that contaminate us and make us unholy. And so it goes on and says in verse 5, it says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? I want you to notice that word tradition. Is, is, is throughout this whole conversation with Jesus. Again, tradition versus true worship. They don't do this according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands. I want you to notice, look, the behavior of the Pharisees on a practical level was good. However, it shouldn't have been binding on other Jews. The way that these Pharisees went about washing hands, I was in the bathroom the other day with Josiah, and I'm trying to teach him. I'm like, hey, you know, when you wash your hands, sing happy birthday. And he was like, no, Dad, you got to sing it twice. I'm like, okay, let's sing it twice. That's good. I thought it was once. I'm like, one, one time happy birthday, and I'm done. But he was educating me. Nonetheless, here's the thing. The thing is, when we look at the Pharisees, how do they wash hands? Let me explain you how they wash hands. First of all, it's, it's a two-man deal, all right? So you can't do this by yourself. I mean, now you could because you have a water faucet, I think. But I don't know. It would be kind of weird because you have to use your elbow. Kind of depends on the situation, right? And then if you see you have one of those faucets that doesn't respond to you, you know, you, try to, you know those faucets that you're like, hello, can I get some water here? You know, like you're over here walking back. Anyway, so it's a two-man deal at the time. So they take a picture, and here's what happens. You hold your hands like this. Right? And then you and then somebody comes, pours water over your hands. The water drips to the back of your hand. Sounds great, right? But you're not done yet. Then you turn your hand like this, and they dump the water over your hand this way. So now your hands are clean both ways, right? So that's the way that they were that, that you were washing your hands, right? No happy birthday two times to yourself. You know, you had to have somebody help you in that. So that was their idea. So when you didn't do that, and, and mind you, that, that takes a moment, does it not? So when you didn't do that, they're like, wait a second, what's wrong with this person? They have issues. And so they were questioning him on their issues. Now, where did this whole stuff come? Where, where does this, this, this whole thing come from? Or this whole idea of this washing? 
Well, you got to remember the disciples of, 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 of Moses, right, all of the people, not the disciples of Jesus, but the disciples of Moses, those who were listening to the law. For like 400 years, God hadn't spoken. You know what they started doing? They started trying to figure out, okay, how do we make God's law clearer? How do we make God's standards more understandable and accessible? Because the Jewish people believe this. As they walked in holiness, the Messiah was going to come because they would arrive at some place of holiness. And so what happens is they start adding all of these little traditions and all of these things, and suddenly they have to watch pictures, they have to wash pictures a certain way, they have to wash their hands a certain way. And here's the problem: it's not the issue of hygiene. It is now washing your hands equates how much of a worshiper you are. Now listen, you may be nasty when it comes to hygiene. That doesn't mean you're not a true worshiper of Jesus. I'm not telling you to stay nasty. Come on now. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, I can't, I can't go with the, you know, the, the, the statement that, you know, um, cleanliness is next to godliness, right? Like, that's not in the Bible. You may feel that way with your OCD. I'm just saying, right? Like, that, that may be you, right? You may feel like that, but that's not true in the, in, in the scriptural sense. But to the Pharisees, this was true. See, as followers of Jesus, we need, here's, here's what I said. Remember what I said. Personal legalism is a good thing, right? It's a good thing, unless it becomes a main thing. See, we all need personal legalisms. Why? You need to, listen, you need to know what your sin is. You need to know where it is that sin is in your life, right? I, I, I love, I, you know, I love um, Pastor Aldo and Vanessa. I love them a lot, but I love the example that they were um, as, as youth leaders with, with our church, as youth leaders. And I, and I use them as an example all the time because, to me, they're such a blessing. Um, when they were dating, this is something that was real serious for them. You know, um, Vanessa's dad was like, listen, you and her ain't going to be alone, blah, blah, blah. And they bowed to that. They were like, yes and amen. There was one time they were in the car alone, right, one time. And it was from my house house to the front gate of my neighborhood while she was on the phone the whole time with her dad. Come on now. Now, now here's the thing. That sounds real legalistic, does it not? Right? I mean, I think it does. I think it's not my daughter. She's going to do that. Amen. I'm just telling you. I think it's great. I'm going to embrace that tradition, right? And she knows that. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, there's not, I'm not going to, listen, I am a man, and I know what temptation is like. And if you put me alone with a beautiful woman that I care about, Come on, right? This is just common sense. And so I need to go on ahead. I need to have some personal legalisms. In other words, personal legalisms put boundaries around you so that way you don't sin. You don't walk into sin in those areas. And for the glory of God, this couple, they make it to their day of the wedding and everybody can wear white and it's all good. He didn't wear white, but anyway, you know. <sighs> he could have. He could have worn white, though. He was good to go. We had a white shirt, didn't you? With white shirt, white shirt, white shirt and white tie. Good, 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 great. He was white, glory to God. He had his white on, you know. <laughs> but, the, but, but the beauty of this is, is what? Is that although I am going to say my daughter needs to do this and my son as well. I'm going to make sure that he understands. This is how you show respect for a young woman. I can't force that upon you as a church, can I? Can I come in and say every single family needs to abide by this rule? Now, that sounds really, now, it sounds really good. I'm going to tell you a way that seems to be foolproof to be sure that we're going to get you. You know, but here's the thing. That would be legalism that is personal. It's good for me, but it can't become a main thing. You tracking? 
And so this is where the problem comes in, is when all of a sudden we start trying to enforce our rules, our personal legalism, our personal convictions upon other people. We cannot do that. We have to be sure that we bring people to Jesus. Here's the problem. When our personal convictions and legalisms become the standard by which we are judging others, we have missed the heart of God and we are in danger of becoming a legalist. Are you here? Whenever we start looking at other people and the way that they're living, and if they're not living up to our standards, our standards, not scriptural standards. Now, listen, there's a difference, church. I want you to know something. I say this often. God's standards are pretty high. Are you here? God's standards are high. God tells us what we are supposed to do in his word. And I am supposed to look at your life as a brother. You're supposed to look at my life as a brother or a sister. And you are supposed to measure my life. Listen, the scripture tells us to know those who are among you, does it not? The scripture tells us that we are supposed to care about each other in in, in a special way. If we see someone overtaken in sin. Now notice what Paul is saying in Galatians. If you see someone overtaken in sin, how do you know it's sin? The Bible calls it sin. It's not because you call it sin. See, for you, you might be like, man, I can't go to, you know, a rated R movie. You know, I can't go here. I can't go there. That may be a thing that you feel highly convicted over, but someone else may not. And you're going to go ahead and you're going to judge them based upon your standard. You can't do that. You have to let God deal with that person's heart. Nonetheless, we hold each other to the high standard of God's word. But when I decide to measure other people's lives by my standards, now we have problems. And that's the issue with the Pharisees that they're having. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, recognize the impotence of traditionalism. Recognize the impotence of traditionalism. Recognize that there is no power in traditionalism. Right? So what happens here? Look at verses 6 through 13 with me. So Jesus responds to them. They come. They question him. He responds. I love, I, man, I, let me tell you something. I love watching the way Jesus responds to people. Because, I, man, I just want to be like Jesus. Just because he, he just comes at people with, like, love but straight up. Just like, hey, man, this is what's up. So look what he says to them. So Jesus says to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That is so awesome. Well, did Isaiah, you hypocrites, right? Like he is like in their face saying, y'all are hypocrites. And then he goes and he quotes the scriptures. And what does he say? He says, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, many and other such things you do. And he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. And he goes on, he says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says his father to his father and mother, whatever profit you may have received from me as Corbin, that is a gift of God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making, look at this, making the word of God of no effect. You hear that? When our traditions are greater than the gospel, are greater than the commandment of God, when we are more concerned with people bowing to our tradition, you know what we end up doing? We end up nullifying the word of God in their life. We end up hindering God's word from doing what only God's word can do. Now, what I want you to know is this, is that the Pharisees were for sure well-intended. They definitely had the the, the good idea and the good intention because they were saying, man, we want to live holy. We want to live righteous. That's a good thing, 
does it not? Say amen to that, yeah? Living holy is a good thing. Helping people understand. Helping people to realize how it is that you apply the scriptures. Those are all great things. However, however, those great things can become problematic when you forget what you were trying to do in the first place. What you were trying to do in the first place was obey God's word. What you were trying to do in the first place is do what God has called you to do. And so Jesus responds to them. And I want you to know this. It should be clear. And if it's not clear, I want to say it clearly. Traditionalism doesn't change anyone. The gospel does. Our traditions, as great as they may be, listen, I just used Pastor Aldo and Vanessa as an example of what I think purity and chastity uh, in, in a dating relationship and a courtship that is on its way to marriage should look like. I just gave them as a great example, but I want to tell you something, that will not change anyone's heart. It's not going to change anyone's heart. It's not going to make anybody have any less lust in their heart. It's not going to make anybody desire less. No, no, the only thing that does that is a relationship with God. That's what our video said, was it not? It's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. It's about walking with Jesus and living holy before him. And so that's what we're called to do. So what does Jesus say to these traditionalists in this moment? He says three things. He shows us three things that traditionalism produces. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Number one is hypocrisy. Number two is human rules. And the third thing is hindered revelation. So the first thing Jesus addresses is what? He addresses hypocrisy. What does it mean to be a hypocrite? It means to play a part. It, it's about external holiness, not internal purity. Get that? It's about external holiness, not about internal purity. See, a relationship with Jesus is always about a measurement of my heart. It's always about what's going on inside of me, what's happening in here. Because out here, I can be smiling. Out here, I can look okay. But what's going on inside of my heart? God is concerned about what's going on inside of our heart. You and I should be concerned about internal purity, not external holiness alone. It is about, it's not about living for the glory of God. See, here's what I want you to grasp when you think about this. True worship will cost us more than traditionalism will ever require us. True worship will cost us more than traditionalism will ever require of us. See, traditionalism says, hey, all you got to do is give your 10%, right? I'm not saying it's not a biblical thing. I'm just saying that that may be a traditional thing. All you got to do is come to church once a week. All you got to do is go to a Bible study. All you got to do is go to a small group. All you got to do is do this. All you got to do is get this checklist down. And yet God says, man, I want much more than that. I want it all. I want everything in your life. I don't, I, don't want, I don't just want some days of your week. I want every day of your week. I don't want just an hour of your day. I want every hour of your day. I don't want just some of your money. I want all of your money. I know that sounds crazy. I didn't say the church wants all your money. Hello, somebody. I'm saying God says he wants, he wants it all. He doesn't just want some of it. He doesn't want just some of your life. See, traditionalism allows you to go on ahead and say, well, hey, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give these things and I'm good to go. And you live your life thinking, well, I lived up to the traditional standards, but God says, man, I want much more. It will always cost us more to worship God than it will for us to check the rule box. Human rules. Human rules is the second thing here. What, what does Jesus deal with? Traditionalism raises human rules to the position of God's law. That's crazy, is it not? It raises the traditions of men to the height of God's law. 
This not only dethrones God, but it makes his word powerless. God's word is supposed to convict us, is it not? God's word is supposed to change hearts. God's word is supposed to correct us. God's word is supposed to command us. But you know what? If we've been teaching people traditions instead of Bible, then guess what? They learn the tradition more than the Bible. And so now they're not doing what? Which brings us to the next thing. They're not hearing from God. You know why? Because they're hindered in their revelation. Notice what happens as you continue on in the story. Jesus Jesus. After he says he does this teaching with his disciples, he says this, his disciples should have gotten it, right? The son of God was speaking. They should have understood it. And they're still like dumb. They're like, I don't know. What what, what did you mean by that? And Jesus tells them, he says, look, look at verse 18 real quick. He said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Now notice who he's talking to. He's talking to the ones that have been walking with him for a time now. He's walking with the ones that understand some things about him, and yet they're without understanding why. Because they had been so indoctrinated with the traditions of men, they weren't able to hear God. Their revelation from God was hindered. They were so used to hearing men's voices that they were missing the voice of God that was speaking through the Messiah. When we settle for traditionalism, the rules of men, external forms of godliness, we can and will miss God's truth that is both heart-changing and life-changing. God wants to change our hearts. But that only comes from us hearing him. Again, personal legalism and traditional preferences aren't wrong as long as they do not become the measurements of our devotion to God. They can't be the only way that we measure our devotion to God. Are we looking in God's word? Our devotion must be what? It must be to following Jesus. And that means what? That means living a life of sacrifice, laying our lives down, taking up our cross, seeking to please God in everything that we do. Church, that is what it means to follow Christ the way that he wants. That is what it means not to be bound in our traditions. The third thing, say this with me, say commit to true worship as Jesus above all. Commit to true worship that is Jesus above all. And so what does Jesus do? We already looked at the text together, so we won't go there again. But Jesus rebukes the well-intentioned rule makers of the first century, does he not? He calls them hypocrites. He rebukes us as well as we seek to mount up our rules, our traditions, our standards, to prove our devotion to God, to maintain our purity and our separation from the world. Yet, his laws, I want you to get this, God's laws are high enough, they are broad enough, and they are narrow enough God doesn't need our help are you here God's laws are high enough they're broad enough and they're narrow enough why do what, what do I mean by that what I mean is this is that God speaks broad enough to call everyone to live holy and so if I'm in this room right and I'm, and I'm talking to the wives in the room and I'm saying to the wives I'm saying hey the scriptures say that you are supposed to respect your husbands the scriptures say you're supposed to submit to your husband that's pretty broad is it not it's calling all wives not all women hear me now if you're not married, then you obviously can't apply this to your life, but it's saying broad enough to, to, to do this, right? However, it's also narrow enough in the sense that the Holy Spirit can show you how is it exactly that you're to do that. In your marriage, in your context, see, I can't, I can't get too specific on that. I mean, I can give you some points, but I can't tell you how it is you're supposed to reflect. Same thing for husbands. If I'm telling husbands, hey, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loves the church. That's pretty broad, right? is it not? It's also pretty direct. It's narrow enough. It's calling all husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And so that means what? That means that now as I walk with you, how, do you, how are you going to love your wife? I don't know. Your wife is different than my wife. I can tell you how I love my wife, but the things, the way that I love my wife may not work for your wife. Are you here? 
This is why relationship with Jesus is so important because God calls us to a certain way of living. He calls all of us, right? Everybody in this room, right? So you may not be married, you know, whatever the case may be. But here's the thing. He calls everyone in this room to love their neighbor, does he not? Now, listen, your neighbor's different than mine, so loving your neighbor's going to be different. Hello, somebody. <laughs> right? You have different neighbors, right? And some of you are like, I don't even know my neighbors. Well, get to know them, right? Because the Bible says to love your neighbor, right? And so the truth is what? You've got to be sure that you are loving your neighbor. How about this one? The Scripture tells everyone to love their enemies. Come on now. We all have enemies, do we not? That's a pretty high standard, is it not? Do I need to get more specific? No, I have no right to get more specific. As a matter of fact, I can't because your enemies are different than my enemies. God's word is powerful enough to bring the conviction that it needs to and to bring the direction. And if we are in a relationship with God, God will make it clear. So what do we learn from Jesus? What do we learn from Jesus in this? Here's what we learn. We learn that the same things that hinder the church from maturity hinder the church in evangelism. That's what this whole series is about whenever necessary. It's about evangelizing others. And what I want you to know is that the same things that hinder us from growing in maturity hinder us in evangelism. So I always give you the list of things that we learn from Jesus. And so in this, the first thing, if you're writing notes, you can, take, you can write this down. It is the problem of detailed rules. The problem of detailed rules. What's the problem with detailed rules? Here's what I want to say to you. We need to trade in our to-do list for it's a worship list. We need to trade in our to-do list with a to-worship list. What do I mean by that? I love, man, let me tell you, that, that, that song that we sang today, that has to be one of my, as far as fast songs go, like I love slow songs, but as far as like fast songs go, man, that has to be one of my favorite songs. It is, it is just such a brilliant, glorious, wonderful reminder of how strong and mighty our God is. I'm encouraged by that, right? Like that's a big thing for me. And so when I think about, man, that there is no, that there's no sin strong enough. There, there's no, listen, there's no thing that I can do, man, to contain the love of God. Man, that is encouraging stuff. That is a reason for me to get excited about worshiping God, right? But if I give you a list of to-dos, man, you ain't going to be excited about that. Come on, y'all. Some of y'all know about the money to-do list. Glory to God. <sighs> like, man, I hate that list, right? Praise the name of the Lord. Not because you don't love your, your spouse or whoever gave you the list, but, you know, it's just, man, you hate the list. So what makes us think religiously like we're going to start loving lists all of a sudden? Like, oh, yes, I need to do A, B, C, and D. And then, no, God wants us to have one list, and that list is a long one of why we worship him, of why we honor him. Listen, we need to have detailed lists. We need to have personal legalism, but it needs to come out of our relationship with God. See, church, when we are consumed with why God is worthy, we will live for his glory. And what does that look like? When we are consumed by why God is worthy, we will love our neighbor, will we not? We will seek justice for those who need justice. We will serve others. We will show mercy to others. That's what that looks like. But I can't make you show mercy, seek justice, serve others. I can't make you do any of that if your heart's not right. Your heart has to be in the right place. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is rules separate us. I'm, I'm going to read this to you because I think that this is so powerful. The rules that are intended to make us pure are essentially designed to try to keep us apart from sinful people and to keep our children apart from sinful children or children with sinful homes. We teach our children to be undefiled and separated rather than show mercy. Then, when they grow up, we wonder why they find evangelism to be so difficult. Think about that. 
Our rules are made to, listen, I want you to know, I want my kids to be holy, right? I want my kids to love Jesus for sure, and I'm going to teach them what's right. I'm going to teach them to stay away from sin, but I'm going to teach my kids how to navigate through sin. If not, you know what's going to happen? They're going to become overwhelmed when sin hits them in the face. Are you here? Right, that that Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Come on now. (laughs) Every kid is holy while they're at home, and all of a sudden, come on now. (laughs) They're living righteous. Everything is good. They go out in this world, slaps them up like, oh, my goodness, what happened to my child? I'll tell you what happened. You didn't prepare them for this world. Anyway. The third thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Say undermining authority. Did I say say that? Anyway, I just want to hear you. I'm sorry. I apologize. Pastor, I'll thank you for encouraging me here. Everybody's like, why are we repeating that? No, just write this down. Undermining authority. Here's what I want you to think about. Legalism fosters rebellion against parents, schools, churches, and ultimately against God. Think about that. When you teach legalism, when legalism is overwhelming in your home, you know what you do? You teach your kids to rebel against it. You know why? There's no power in legalism. There's no power in it. There's no life in it. And so you know what people do? They don't want to be under that anymore, you know? It's kind of like when you, when you decide you want to lose weight, right? I don't know about anybody who's ever tried to do that, right? But anyway... You try to do that, and you go and you find somebody who's got a six-pack, and they're all ripped, and they're all yoked, and you're like, you know what? What do you eat, right? Don't, don't do that because they eat whatever. But anyway, sometimes, right, they're like, well, you got to restrict everything, right? And all of a sudden, you're eating sweet potatoes and dry, and dry chicken every day. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, you're like, man, I hate this, man. And then you rebel against it. Your body rebels. Like, after a week, you're like, no, right? Like, it just, it just doesn't work. Why? Because it's legalism, glory to God. <laughs> Ah, hallelujah. I just liberated y'all. Y'all like, never do a diet again. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you have to be realistic, right? It, 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 you can't. So what happens is when we are, we, we, we produce people who undermine authority because of legalism. The fourth thing is this, um, worldly religion in place of the gospel. You can write this down for time's sake, but Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and Colossians 2 and verse 20. As you, When you go home, think about this, but here's what happens. Whenever we look at ourselves in our legalistic way, we start thinking, oh, man, we're so godly, we're so holy. The reality is legalism is fundamentally worldly, though it claims to be true religion. Why? Because it's saying, hey, man, it's about me. It's about me keeping the rules. It's about me doing it, not about the gospel and what Jesus has done. And the last one, I want you to think about this. Jesus' passion for salvation for the legalist. See, one thing that we don't pay attention to is that Jesus was the harshest to the legalist because he wanted them to repent. He spoke to them in words that were jarring. He called them hypocrites so they would be like, whoa. It was so that way they would recognize, man, he's talking to me. (laughs) Yeah, he's talking to you. And sometimes you may hear preaching, sometimes you'll hear an exhortation, sometimes you'll hear something that seems so harsh, just know it's your God who loves you and he wants you to repent. He wants you to turn from your sin. He wants, to tur- wants you to turn from your legalism. I love this. Jesus was literally willing to offend them to his death to ensure they had a chance for real salvation. Think about that. Jesus never stopped offending them all the way to the cross. Because he wanted to be sure that they had the opportunity for salvation. 
Church, here's the deal. We must be given fully to true worship, devotion to Jesus, above everything else. This means what? What does this mean? I want to give you some practical things really quickly here. What this means is spending time with Jesus. This means meditating upon his law, upon his gospel. This means soaking in his presence. And listen, I don't want you to be like, oh, thinking of mysticism, all this kind of stuff. When I'm saying soaking, no, man. You know, you sit outside in the sun, you just like kind of soak it all in. What I'm saying is you need to spend some time. Listen, I'm, I, I have to be honest with you. You are never going to experience the life-changing reality of God's power in your life with a five-minute devo that you read on the way to work. Are you here? Or that you, you know, that when you were walking down a hall. No, no, no. You're going to have to spend time in the presence of God. You're going to have to spend time soaking in the truth of God's word, allowing God to inscribe his word on your heart, allowing God to inscribe his love on your heart, allowing God to bring change to your life. It takes time. That doesn't happen just like that. No, it takes time for you to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what it means, and that will liberate us from becoming these overwhelming legalists. And you know what happens when we do that? That's the way that we leave a lasting impact in our culture. I don't know about you, but I want to leave a lasting impact in our culture. So here's my closing question for you. Where has tradition trumped true worship in your life? Where has tradition trumped true worship in your life? Where is it that your tradition is more important than worshiping Jesus? Where is it that your tradition, it matters more to you than worshiping and honoring Jesus for who he is? I don't know where it is for you. I I, I could confess my own to you. I won't go through that list with you. But there's plenty of ways that my own traditions get in the way of me worshiping God in the fullness. There's, there's plenty of ways that I, that I allow myself a pass because I check the box, and I'm good. Church, it's not about checking the box. It's about worshiping him with all of your life. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right where you are. And if you know that you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, man... I have these areas that I really need to let God deal with. Now is the moment for you to allow God to deal with those areas. We're going to participate with, uh, of communion right now as the ushers come forward. And this is the moment. Communion is meant to be a moment that we share with God in a special way. It's meant to be a moment that we search and examine our hearts. The scriptures teach us clearly God makes it crystal clear that this is a time for us to examine our hearts, for us to look at what's going on inside of our hearts.